Well, good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. As Steve said, uh, we've known each other for a, for a very long time, and uh, it's been an honor to, uh, to kind of go through school with him and serve together in so many ministry contexts. And he and Katie have been such just a huge blessing uh, to my wife Lauren and I and our family. Uh, so it's really a, a truly an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning uh, sharing the Word of God. Um, before we dig in, I, I do uh, want to remind Steve again that you forgot one of the announcements, uh, that it is today a very famous man's birthday, uh, one Steve Zarelli. So Steve, why don't you just stand up really quick? Just, just come on, come on, just stand up. Happy birthday, Steve. So. It's, uh, it's great to be, be with you and celebrate such a joyous occasion. So anyways, we get into the Word today. We're going to be in Genesis 1. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, uh, whatever you can get there, it's the beginning of the Bible. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 1, continuing our series, studying the days of creation uh, in our series called Origins. And last week, we covered the first three days of creation. Uh, and today, we're going to focus on the second three, days four, five, and six. Uh, by way of recap... In the first three days of creation, we looked at that last week, and we saw the experience of God forming the earth, creating the, the forms of the earth. And this week, we're going to take a look at the next three days, and we'll see the filling of the earth, that God fills the earth with his word. Uh, Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 2.1, the beginning and kind of end of chapter 1 of Genesis, sort of form the bookends or the uh, frame of the creation account. And these are the summary verses. In Genesis 1.1, it begins that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it finishes with Genesis 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them. And from Genesis 1.3 on, we just hear all these details about God's various works of creation and what he did. But in Genesis verse one, or chapter 1, verse 2, we get a, st- a summary of the state of the earth before God creates it and fills it, creating conditions for life to flourish. And we read that the earth was without form and void, that darkness was over the surface of the deep, formless, empty, and dark. That was the state of the earth before God came and spoke. And really, when you think about it, it's the state of many of our lives and our hearts before we came to know the truth of God's word. And maybe some of us this morning are still sitting there feeling that. Maybe some of us this morning, we've never experienced God's love. We've never experienced what it truly means to have our lives transformed by by God. And you say, my life feels that way. My heart feels that way. It feels formless, empty, and void. It feels dark feels lonely. I don't know where you're at today, but we're going to see, and I want to encourage you, that even though the world started out formless, empty, and dark, even though our lives feel that way at oftentimes, that God's words create life. We're going to experience that in a powerful way, I hope, this morning, that God's words create life, that no matter what your state of your heart is, no matter what the state of your life is, no matter what the state of the world was, that when God speaks, Life appears. It's an incredible promise. So let's turn with me to Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 14. We'll first see that God fills the earth with light. Genesis 1, starting in verse 14, says this. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. 
And let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So with the word of God, the sun, the moon, the stars are flung into the atmosphere in all their perfection. And it's interesting to note that the sun, moon, and stars are described in greater length than anything else in this creation account apart from humanity. And there's a reason for this. The sun and the moon were the main gods of that culture in the ancient Near East. They were the ones that were worshipped as the ones that brought life, that brought sustenance, that grew crops, that provided warmth, that provided the vitality that life gives. So the people groups worshipped them. But the author of Genesis is making a point to emphasize that the sun and the moon, the things that all the peoples of the earth worshipped as the life-giving sustainers of their, their daily existence, were in fact created by someone greater. That the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, the God and the ruler and the creator of the universe, in fact, created and crafted these amazing, beautiful things that provided life. Many of these people groups believe that the sun and the moon and the stars were eternal. And so what they're saying here, and the point is, is that God created it. There is one greater than what we see. There is one greater than the creation. It is the creator. And they're not even named by their usual names. You notice that? It just says the bigger one and the smaller one, right? It's not the sun and the moon. What's the author doing? He's demoting it. He's saying, you know, those things that you worship, the big one and the little one, they're created by God. They're created by Yahweh. So worship Yahweh, not the sun and the moon. Look, give your affection to him. And the stars, which in that time were believed to control destinies, to, to move mountains, to move people groups, they looked to the stars to get the, you know, signs and things like that. They're kind of set in the side. Oh yeah, and by the way, the stars, right? And the stars, and in a kind of a side passing. God, the, the author is trying to get people to see that there is something greater than the creation. The creator, the one who made it all, the one who sustains it all. That's who you're to worship. That's who you're to look at. Not the beautiful things that you see. Yes, look at them. Yes, thank God for them. Be amazed by them, but don't stop there. Look from the creation to the creator. And even more amazing than that, when I read this, I am blown away by the precision described, by the precision of the way that God created an atmosphere for life to thrive. Right? One of the commentators on this passage, Ken Hughes, says it like this. He says, the slant of the earth, tilted at an angle of 23 degrees, let me just stop here and promise you we're not going to get too scientific this morning because I can't understand it, all right? So just bear with me. But the slant of the earth is tilted at an angle of 23 degrees, and it gives us our seasons. If it was not tilted at exactly 23 degrees, we would not only lose our seasons, but life itself. As the vapors from the ocean would move north and south, piling up continents of ice. If our moon were just a fraction closer, our tides would daily inundate entire continents and flood and destroy life. So we see even in the creation 
of light. When God speaks and light exists, the sun, the moon, the stars are put, and not just haphazardly, but with such infinite and tiny precision that even a slight change would create an atmosphere not of life, but of death. It's an amazing God that we serve. Have you ever just found yourself blown away by God's creation? I remember as a child, I grew up in Southern California, and we had like the daily smog index, right? So, you know, we would just see how kind of hazy the sky was. And it would usually be blue, but it would be different shades of haziness, right? And so at night, we lived kind of in the suburbs of a city, and so there was a lot of ambient light. So we never really got a very good look at the stars. We could see the stars, and you could kind of experience it, but we were city folk, you know? We're not seeing that in all its glory. And so I remember when I was about eight or nine, my parents decided to take us camping. And I, I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm eight or nine, so I was being probably a little brat, and, you know, oh, why are we going camping? But we get to this campsite. It was a really cool place right on the beach, and the, the tents were kind of lined up in two rows, sort of like the, the aisles are here. And down that center aisle, it was covered in these canopy of trees. It was actually pretty cool. And so the first night we were there, my parents said, let's go do a bonfire on the beach. I was like, great. So we're walking out of this canopy of trees, and I still vividly remember this image to this very day. I'm a couple years older than eight or nine now. The amazing view that I saw when I got out from under the canopy. I kid you not, in, without hyperbole, I think I saw a billion stars. I mean, a billion. It was just, the, there were more stars upon stars upon stars that I could ever see. And I remember even as an eight or nine-year-old, just my jaw dropped. It was incredible. I was taken aback. And it was breathtaking, the beauty of God's creation. It's amazing how God has crafted the universe, how it was filled with light at his word. He spoke and it was created. In a moment, light was brought to life. And so as we reflect on creation, as we reflect on it, let's just take a moment to stand in awe of the creator of the universe to not stop and look at creation and be amazed by it, which we all should do on a daily basis, but then to take that and look one step above and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for making this incredible world. Thank you, God, for sustaining the universe, sustaining my life on a daily basis. Let's give thanks to God. So God speaks and the conditions for life to flourish appear. But after he fills the earth with light, he now fills the earth with animal light. So let's go to verse 20 and see that God fills the earth with animal life. He says, And let, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So we've seen in the creation account that day four, God creates the heavenly bodies that correspond to day one in the creation of light. 
On day five, God creates animal life that fills the waters and the firmament, the birds and the sea creatures. And then on day six, God creates land animals. And then we'll see in a moment mankind that correspond to the creation of dry land and vegetation on day three. So there's a parallel. There's a a working order here. And I just want to notice a couple things here. Notice the abundance of animal life. Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. God fills the waters with great sea creatures, small creatures, bugs, creepy crawly things, you know, all the things we hate. He did the same with birds. He did the same with land animals. But it's just mind-blowing to see the vast array of life that God has created. But not only that, the way that it all works together. As you just saw with the, the sun and the moon, if they were just slightly different, if they were tilted slightly more, if they were closer or further, life would cease to exist. And with all these creatures, God has created this amazing, complex universe that we will never fully understand, in which all these kind of, you know, think of the Lion King, right? The circle of life, you know, we won't get into the philosophical implications of that. But you see, like, all these animals, one eats one, one eats another, one eats another, and they all fit together to form this beautiful and amazing place that we live called Earth. And we see that God created, his creativity is incredible. He made them, though, not just kind of robotic things, but he made them living creatures. He breathed the breath of life in them. And this is the term used to describe these creatures and land animals and then humankind. And notice that when it says that God created the sea creatures, what's interesting here is we have another critique on the peoples of the earth. This is the first time since Genesis 1 verse 1 that the verb bara, create, is used which is a verb that's used only with God, with Yahweh as the subject. And what's going on here is in Canaanite mythology, the sea creatures, the great ones, were rivals of the gods. They were the ones that kind of like kept them in check and fought against them and struggled with them. You you read about uh, Rahab, the great dragon, Leviathan in, in Isaiah. And what the author is doing, the point he's underscoring here, is that these great sea creatures are no rival for Yahweh. They're no rival for God. He created them. He made them. He controls them. He is the one who breathed life into them. Again, showing that God, the creator, is over all. And we also read that God blessed them. The blessing of God in this context describes the potency of life. The ability to to not only be created and to be alive, but to overcome, to struggle with the, the world, to overcome challenges and obstacles, and to sustain life. Genesis is a book that continually goes over the fulfillment of God's blessing in the world worked out. God blesses the animals, mankind, and then the seventh day in this passage. It's incredible when we see the blessing of God worked out even thousands and thousands of years later as life still multiplies, as animals, as creatures, as plants, as humans. We still continually multiply and grow and thrive because of God's word and his blessing. I don't know if any of you ever got into that series, Planet Earth, that the BBC put out. Uh, I remember watching that with my wife, and we got way into it. It was kind of right at the, like, the advent of HDTV. So they got these crazy cameras, right? And they had this incredible footage of all over the world. And I just remember being blown away, like watching, whoa, this is incredible. These vivid landscapes, these just places you would never go. This wide array of animals and how they work. But what was amazing to me is to watch how even in the most remote 
and desolate and difficult places of earth, we see life teeming. We see life surviving. We see life multiplying because of the blessing of God. This is the blessing of God at work, even in the creation, even in the most isolated, remote parts of the world. God is a God who is incredible, who is amazing, who speaks. And no matter what the obstacles, no matter how dreary or how bleak the situation looked, when God speaks, life is created and sustained and multiplied through his blessing. Now, some may say, well, that's just nature. That's just how things work. Yes, but why does nature produce life with such multiplying power? It's because of the word of blessing that God spoke. Verse 22, and it says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in these seas, and let birds multiply on earth. See, throughout this passage, and throughout our lives, and throughout all of human history, and throughout all of eternity in the kingdom of God, we see this, that God speaks, and it happens. That's the God that we serve. The one who speaks, and life is created. The one who speaks blessing and life is multiplied. The one who speaks to each and every one of us in our lives and this world and this universe are sustained moment by moment and day by day and year by year. That's the God that we serve. God, the God whose words create life. But then lastly, we come to the second half of day six where we see the pinnacle of God's creation when God creates humankind. Look at me with me at verses 26 and following. It says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird in the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So day six finishes by filling, God filling the earth with mankind, the culmination of creation. We finally come to Friday, right? Day six, you know, we think about day six, but this day six is Friday. It's awesome, right? We love Fridays, don't we? Anyone like Fridays? Am I the only one? Okay, cool. So Friday's here, and God says, I'm saved the best for last, right? Somebody actually came up to me after the first service, and he's like, God saved the best for last. It's kind of like when Jesus was at the wedding at Cana, right? He came up and said, wow, you saved the best for last. That's really cool. And he did it on a Friday. I think maybe there's some correlation of why we love Friday so much, right? And when you think about it, it's really our collective birthday as humanity. So I think, you know, we should, like, get a petition going. Let's make it a national holiday. It's the birthplace of humanity, right? So happy birthday on Friday, everyone. Uh, but this is what God does on the sixth day, right? He makes creation. 
And it's just a beautiful piece of poetry when, he, when they write this way. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him, them. And next week, we're going to be taking a, a deeper look into what it means to be made in the image of God. What it means to be made in God's image. And that's going to be really cool. So I encourage you uh, to make it a point to be here, to, to kind of experience that and, and rethink that maybe for the first time. But today, let's realize that human life was the pinnacle of God's creation as he fills the earth. And the second chapter of Genesis gives us a picture of what it was like when God created man. Like a skilled artist, God took dust from the ground and formed it together, his own breath, and spoke, and mankind emerged and came and was created, formed perfectly together. At the word of God, humanity was created. And when you look just like the stars, just like the sun, and then to like times a billion, right? The complexity of the human makeup, the complexity of our very bodies, and the miracle that I'm standing in front of you today, all the things that are happening in every one of us right now to just keep us breathing, to keep our heart beating, to keep our brains working, it's incredible. I shared at the earlier service, my brother's a doctor, and so I would be in college with him. He's a couple years younger, and we'd be at the library. I am not a doctor. I quickly learned in biology that I was not willing to pay the price to understand science because it was way over my head. And so I'd be sitting down with him, you know, reading my stuff, and he'd be reading his biochem books and his organic chemistry, and I'm like, I can't even begin to fathom half of this stuff. And he's like, it's even more amazing than you think. Like, <laughs> you think it's cool, but it's even more intricate. It's even more complex. The, the amount that we know is only a pinprick of how our bodies work together, of the vast knowledge. We'll never fully understand it. I'm blown away at the amazing and overwhelming creativity and complexity of our lives and the creator who spoke us into existence. And as we read the story of God creating humanity on the sixth day, I'm reminded of the Ezekiel 37. And the prophet Ezekiel, God gave him a vision. And he said this. He, let me just read it for you here. Tell you the story of this vision. The Lord set Ezekiel down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around, Ezekiel says, among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived, and they stood on their feet. The prophet Ezekiel 
is prophesying, this vision is all about what would ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus came, the Messiah came, the promised one that the nation of Israel had waited so long for, and we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God promised to us to bring us to life spiritually, just like God brought Adam and Eve to life physically through his word as he speaks life into them and they're created. So too, the Holy Spirit will come and speak life into our hearts if we listen and we heed his voice. God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, but it wasn't until that breath of life that was put into him that he truly became a living creature, right? Right? And Ezekiel's prophecy is similar in that the dry bones become covered with flesh, but as he sees, there's no life in them. They look human, they look real, they look like they're supposed to, but there's something missing. There's no breath, there's no life in them. They needed the breath of God. And I think today, I believe with all my heart that we find ourselves in the very same position. We desperately need the breath of God. See, the scriptures say in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our sin apart from God. We are dead. That feeling that we talked about at the beginning, right? The feelings of formlessness, of emptiness, of darkness that we experience. That's due to the fact that we're sinful and that our sin separates us from what we were created to be, sons and daughters of God. And so we're separate. We need desperately, just like Adam and Eve needed the breath of life breathed into them, we need the breath of God, of the Spirit, to breathe into our dead state the hope of the gospel. And the creation, while creation of man is an awe-inspiring story, it's a picture that points us to Jesus and the gospel. The story of Adam coming to life is, is like the story that each of us, if we've known that love, if we've known the forgiveness that comes only through Jesus, if we've re- been reborn, that's the picture here. It's just like the story of Lazarus when Jesus comes and his friend, his good friend on earth, Lazarus, died. It says Jesus wept when he heard of his death and he journeyed back to the city where Lazarus was, and he walked up to the grave where Lazarus had lied dead for days. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. God speaks and life is formed, even to the dead. And that's incredible hope for us today, isn't it? That God's words create life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. After putting our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, Scripture says that we are a recreation. That's why that beautiful picture that Jesus uses, that when we become born again, right? We're born anew when we enter the kingdom, when we're forgiven, when we experience the gospel. The words of God, the gospel, bring life that we so desperately, desperately need. And I don't know where where all of us are at this morning, I don't know where you came to church today and you walked through those doors. I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what you've done with God. I don't know how you've kind of entered in or why you're here, but I'm so glad that you are. And I'm so glad that each and every one of us has the opportunity today to experience the breath of life, to experience the word of God. And my prayer is that you today, maybe for the first time, can enter into what it means to be a son or daughter of God. That we can believe that Jesus came down 
And he lived the perfect life that none of us could live, right? We know that. We know we're sinners. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So Jesus came down, God of the universe, who's created all this amazing stuff that we've talked about, loved us who are enemies of him so much that he sent Jesus down to earth to live that perfect life that we couldn't, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Because as we just said, the wages of sins, the penalty of sins, the result of our sin is death. And Jesus took that on for you and me. That's awesome. But he didn't stop there. He then three days later, after he was killed and crucified for our sins, rose again to conquer the grave. So he not only took care of the life that we couldn't live, he not only died and took care of the penalty we couldn't pay, but then he then said, oh, by the way, death, that eternal enemy of humanity that will get every single one of us, I've taken care of that because I've overcome and if you're in me, if you're in Christ, if you're on my team, right? If you're my son or daughter, death will not touch you. It may take you for a moment, but behold, take heart, I have overcome. That's the hope that we experience in the gospel this morning. And it's my prayer that you've experienced this, that you've embraced that, that you've confessed with your mouth, as the scripture says, that Jesus is Lord, and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you believe those things, you know what the scripture says? That you will be saved. There's no other qualification. There's no other caveat. There's no list of like, well, you gotta believe that, but then guess what? Here's a Bible, better memorize it. Here's seminary, you better go there. Here's the, you know, no. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he came down, you will become a new creation today. That's incredible, isn't it? It's my prayer that each and every one of us have or will experience that new transformation, that new life that's available only by the great creator Yahweh who created the heavens and the earth and who sent his son Jesus to come and save his creation from their sin. That's an amazing God that we serve. God's words create life. So what does that mean for us today as we close here? What are we going to do about this, right? I like action. I like results here, right? We heard this great message, right? This great message, I'm, you know, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the word of God is great, right? We heard this message, this amazing thing that God's words create life. And so we can hear that. We can be all amped up about it. But what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do with this amazing knowledge well, I want to challenge us with two things today. I want us all to listen to God's word to experience life. If we want to be alive, as we just talked about, God's words create life, then we need to listen to God's words, right? It's a pretty simple thing. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, wow, I came to church today and the pastor told me to listen to God's word. Didn't see that one coming, right? I've never heard that one before. But what I mean by that, I think, is there is a difference between hearing and listening, I remember being in college, I was in a marketing class, and we walked in one day, and thankfully I wisely sat in the middle, and uh, in the middle of the class, and so he had everyone pair off right away, and just said, hey, one of the pair talk for two minutes about whatever you want, and the other one just hear him out. I said, okay, we'll do that. So he did that, and then he went up to someone in the front row, said, you two stand up, all right, who talked? Me. Who listened? Me. Okay, the person listened. What did he say? They're like, Glad I sat in the middle today. But it's amazing, isn't it? Because I couldn't have told you what my partner had said. 
in much detail. It's amazing how even 30 seconds later, we can hear something, and I audibly heard everything my partner said. Everything. But I wasn't really listening. And it's amazing how that happens, how often that happens. I'm standing up guilty here, right? In church, when we're reading the Word. And I try to make it a practice to get to work a little early, a few minutes early, and just read a psalm, kind of start the day. And I've caught myself many times lately reading that, being stressed about the you know, struggles of the day, and just finding myself, I have absolutely no idea what I just read. <laughs> I just read it. I just interacted with the words. I heard the words of God, but I wasn't listening. And so my challenge to us and to me is that we need to listen, listen to what God's saying to us. Not just hear it, but listen. And if those of us who've never trusted in the gospel, as we just talked about, listen to what God's saying to you today. Repent and believe. There's hope for you. There's light in the midst of seemingly unsurmountable darkness. Embrace that truth. But for those of us in here who have experienced that, you say, I've been a new creation. I'm trying. I'm striving. I want to grow in my faith. I want to challenge us when you're reading the word, when you're in church, don't just hear, but listen to what God's saying to you. Write it down. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Come back to it and dwell on it. The psalmist says it so beautifully. He says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, O God, and a light to my path. And the encouraging thing is that God's word doesn't just create life, but it sustains and guides every aspect of our life. See, the gospel isn't something we believe once and then we leave aside for bigger and better things. We need it every single day of our lives. The good news that we are dead, but he is alive. We are hopeless, but he has saved us. Let's listen to that as God's people. But also, secondly, let's not just be listeners, but let's speak God's word to spread life. Right? As James challenges his followers in James 1... He says, don't be just doers or be doers of the word, not just hearers. Again, that's hearing, listening, right? Listen, and listening leads to doing. And so I want to challenge us to take this a step further and not only hear God's word, not only listen to it, not only experience it in our own life and have our own hearts transformed, but then let's take that and go to this world that is so formless and dark and empty and void of hope and bring the very words that have created life in us and spread them to our friends, to our families, to our coworkers, to our classmates, to our neighbors who desperately need to hear the message of Jesus. We have such an incredible opportunity. We've been given the hope of the universe. And let's go spread that. We're blessed, as we talked about, not for our own sake. We're blessed to bring glory and honor to our creator. We are blessed to be a blessing. I love when God calls Abraham. That's what he says. He says, I am going to bless you and make you a great nation so that you can bless the nations, right? Abraham wasn't blessed to make Abraham great. Abraham was blessed and the people of God were formed to be a blessing to every single inhabitant of earth, every single creation, every single son and daughter of God. God wants them to hear the message and we get the privilege to be in the position to share those words of life, to sow seeds of life when we share God's words with others. And so I want to encourage all of us today to think and just ask the Spirit to to, to give you a name of, of someone in your life today 
that needs to hear God's word, that needs to hear a word of life. And, and I encourage you to write that name down and find some way this week to tangibly speak the word of God to them. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a call and you say, hey man, we haven't talked in a long time. I just want to call and see how you're doing. I just wanted to encourage you. Maybe it's a challenge to someone who, who's living a life that's not consistent with what they believe about God. And you need to challenge them to turn from their sin and to follow and repent and believe the good news of the gospel, that there's forgiveness, and there's hope, and there's restoration. Maybe it's just an invitation over for a meal to just speak into someone. I don't know what it is, but I just challenge you today. Let's not be hearers of the word only, but doers. Let's listen to what God says and let's do something about it. And let's bring the word of God, the life-giving word of God that we've experienced in a powerful way and bring it to the nations, starting next door. Amen? God's words create life, so let's listen and experience that life, but also share and spread and sow the seeds of life this week. God bless you. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for this amazing opportunity we have to, to dig into your word and to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, we just pray that we'll not be hearers only, but we will listen intently to what you say this week. That as we are encouraged by one another, as we read your word this week, as we pray to you, as we hear what you're saying, that we will listen intently and experience the life-giving power of your words. Lord, for some of us, that may mean accepting your truth for the first time and entering into forgiveness and entering into your family. And Lord, I just pray for each and every one of them this morning that experience that, that you truly do make dead people alive. That you make sinful, destroyed, broken people whole and new and flourishing. And Lord, I just pray for the people that you've placed in our lives, that you will give them and prepare them for the words of truth, the words, your words, that we will speak to them this week. God, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.